Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith and I'm here to take you through the weekend warm-up podcast where we are going to go over the big events of the week. And wow, there was no bigger event than Germany's 2-0 loss to England in the round of 16 at the Euros. And what a disappointment that was on so many levels. Uh, for those of you who saw the game, uh, you obviously went through that painful process. For those of you who did not... Uh, shame on you for one for not for not catching up on it somehow. But uh, let's be honest: if you were really hoping for a Germany victory, it's probably best that you save yourself the time from suffering through what was a very winnable contest for the Germans. Uh, so let's just get right to it. Um, obviously, the outcome was disappointing, but how it happened was uh, extremely disappointing. Uh, Germany, for the first 12 minutes of the game, looked fantastic. I was thrilled at what I saw. Germany controlled play. They had energy. They were aggressive. They were using the speed that they had. It looked great. It looked like everything you would want the beginning of a game to look like. Uh, Germany, just quite simply, if you could compare it to a boxing match, had England on the ropes. They were hammering England with combinations. They were hammering England with power punches. And while they didn't knock the three lines down, uh, they clearly had the advantage and England was staggering. Unfortunately, though, at somewhere around the 12th minute, Germany took their foot off the gas and allowed England to regain their senses and get back into the match. And unfortunately, we all know how it played out from there. While there were some moments of back and forth at no point after those first 12 minutes that I feel like Germany controlled the game. Uh, and one big factor with that was England's ability to apply pressure. And quite frankly, uh, Germany just did not handle the England press very well at all. And why that was really disappointing was, uh, I mean, obviously the defenders were, were not um, the most adept at being equipped to handle that press by England. But the, I did not think the midfield did well to really try and work around that press and beat it. Uh, Tony Kroos, who... who I know he takes a lot of heat uh, in these parts, but he was not bad. Um, you know, you could probably argue he was better than Leon Goretzka in the game. Uh, Goretzka started out hot. He was one of the big contributors early on, but he faded over the course of the game. And as that England press ramped up the heat on him, uh, he was not as effective. And it really, it really deterred him from getting as forward as he would have liked. And that's a huge part of his game. And honestly, it was a huge part of the game for Germany when Goretzka is able to make those darting runs into the box. Goretzka opens up so much space for everyone else on the pitch, especially the front three of Yogi Love's 3-4-3 formation. And without that, without that element in the attack for most of the game, Germany looked kind of toothless, unfortunately. But yeah, the, the England press was it was a big factor. Did not think the defenders really handled it well. Mats Hummels himself, I thought, was superb. But being flanked by Matthias Ginter and Antonio Rudiger finally caught up with Germany because I thought both of those players uh, did not perform well and, in fact, uh, just didn't handle England well at all. So, um, you know, that was really, really disappointing. But, you know, you could go through dozens of reasons why Germany struggled. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where ultimately the finger is going to get pointed at the coach, and rightly so. Uh, this is a manager who over the past four years has made some awful decisions, just blatantly brutal 
personnel decisions, uh, formation decisions, has not been the most effective communicator, clearly has not built up relationships with all of the players on his roster. Uh, it is, uh, you know, by all means, despite the fact that he had a, an overall great tenure with Germany, Yogi Love has not been great um, over the last four years. And, and that's unfortunate. But I don't want to pinpoint him for all of the blame because certainly he does not. Uh, he does not deserve all of it. And let's be honest, the players were poor, uh, not just in the England game, but it, there was just rampant inconsistency throughout the squad uh, over the course of the Euros. Um, and it was really it was really unfortunate. Uh, players like Thomas Muller, who, who had his big return and was impactful on the offense and was important, um, he didn't produce. And ultimately, in the end, if you're playing a forward position, you have to produce. Players that aren't able to uh, score or not able to set other players up, uh, that becomes what defines you as a forward in any competition. So as good as Muller was with his leadership and directing Germany's own press and being able to help get the offense going and facilitate, he was not good at producing. And ultimately, that's how he'll be judged. And, you know, a lot of people are going to hammer him uh, for that huge miss he had in the second half. And, and ultimately, he would be the first to tell you that is an opportunity he has to bury. But it did happen. And, you know, misses are going to happen. And no game should come down to one or two misses. But unfortunately for Germany, uh, that's how most people will view this. Obviously, the other big miss was Timo Werner, who probably opted for the wrong decision in the first half in challenging Pickford when he went low and tried to nutmeg the goaltender or goalkeeper. Uh, sorry, I was diverting into NHL talk for a second there. Um, instead of trying to chip it over Pickford, uh, Werner went with power and tried to go low, and ultimately that was a poor decision. Uh, and that's a confidence thing for Timo Werner. Uh, obviously, this is a player who struggled with his form for the better part of a year now uh, since making the move from RB Leipzig to Chelsea. Uh, he has taken a lot of heat. And you can tell that this is not the same player who was at RB Leipzig and was making fearless, confident, and just speedy runs everywhere and scoring in all different kinds of ways. Uh, confidence is a big issue, not just for Werner, but many of the players, and we'll touch on that as well. Uh, but you know, ultimately, you know, when the game comes down to uh, two opportunities like Germany had, you have to at least make one of them. And I think people will remember that. And unfortunately for Werner and Muller, uh, you know, they're going to be scapegoated in a lot of circles. I don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, like I said before, a, a game like that should not come down to one or two opportunities. There should be greater consistent pressure. And as we saw throughout the tournament, uh, Germany was just not good at creating offense. They were, quite frankly, poor at it. And, uh, you know, in the end, you get out of a tournament what you put into it, and Germany just did not have enough offensive output. Anyway, um, you know, Muller, Werner, Ginter, Rudiger, they weren't the only players who struggled. Um, you know, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry were shells of themselves. They were not good throughout the tournament. It's really, you'd be hard-pressed to say, like, who really stood out for Germany during this. I mean, Hummels was solid, but even he had his moments where he got beat. So, 
you know, if there were if there was really any one player who was able to use this tournament as a platform for himself, it was probably Kai Havertz. Because consistently throughout Germany's four matches, he was probably the best overall player. And not that that's saying a lot, but uh, he was the one who was able to take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, you know, you had some other performances like Robin Cousins, who was terrific against Portugal, but I mean, invisible at times in other matches, just inconsistent at times in other matches. Um, Joshua Kimmich, who probably is the best midfielder in Germany, was forced out to the right flank playing as a wing back and was not as impactful as you would like him to be. And part of that is the position. Like, obviously, you know, Clubs aren't going out and spending $100 million on wingbacks. Uh, you might pay that for a central midfielder or a striker, but you're not going to pay that for a right wingback. So you could question the philosophy of taking your best midfielder and pushing him out of position to a, a spot where he was going to be less impactful on the game. And I think that would be a valid argument. Um, but, you know, again, the players were poor. Uh, you could target the formation as an issue as well. I mean, can anybody really say that Germany looked comfortable playing in the 3-4-3? I don't think with Ginter and Rudiger, you had defenders that could aptly really defend the back line there ably. And I don't want to hammer Rudiger too much. He was definitely better than Ginter, not as good as Hummels. But, um, you know, I, I don't see that either Rudiger or Ginter prevent you know, that they really provided such a steep upgrade over Nicholas Sula. And I'm not sure what is going on with that, by the way, but if Sula has fallen that far out of form, I think, you know, it's time to really look at this kid and, and figure out what is going on because uh, what we've seen from Sula over the years is that he's probably better than either Rudiger or Genter, and the fact that he couldn't get on the pitch in this tournament was very concerning to me at the very least. But back to the formation, um, I'm not sure Germany ever got its best 11 players onto the pitch. I thought there was a chance against Hungary that that would happen. Uh, or, I mean, sorry, against England that it would happen because I thought with Goretzka entering for entering the lineup for Gundogan uh, that we had a chance. But then, you know, it's really tough to say who was the best to fit across the front line because, like I said, Muller was unproductive. Werner, Sané, Gnabry were all out of form. Uh, Havertz was about the only one that was uh, a consistent threat. So I just don't know that the formation was conducive with this roster. I feel like, and I'm a big 4-2-3-1 advocate for sure, but I just feel like that would have been uh, a little more stable of a formation for this group. I would have liked to have seen that. But hey, uh, Yogi Love was married to this formation. He was going to use it no matter what, even though there were some reports he might tinker around with a different formation. Uh, ultimately, it was one of the contributing factors to why Germany was unsuccessful in its bid to try and win the Euros. Um, you know, this was Yogi's last dance as well. Um, and with that, it became really evident and I've said this many times over the years, he lost his feel for these players. He lost his feel for managing this team. And he was never really able to recreate that energy and that vibe and that feeling of just uber confidence that he had really from what I would say is probably around 2008 through 2017, which is remarkable. That's a nine-year stretch of really just being a solid world-class football squad. Um, but, you know, he won the 2014 World Cup because he had great talent and because that talent was just superbly confident in their own ability and and their 
and just really the mindset they had to go on and take on whoever was in front of them. And you even saw that, you know, I sound like a broken record, but the 2017 Confederations Cup where he took a, a freaking B team to that tournament and won it. So clearly at one point, this guy was just a world-class manager who had the Midas touch. Everything he did turned the gold. But the last four years, he has not had that feel. Whether it was personnel decisions, formations, uh, communicating with players, everything has been an abject failure. And, and I, you know, I feel torn on this in a way because I don't want to take away from what he has done overall. Because clearly, this is a magnificent coach, someone who had a mind for the game that was beyond his years just eight to ten years ago. But the last four years have really sullied that reputation. And for a lot of people, they're going to remember this. And, you know, sports, as always, is a what have you done for me lately business. And unfortunately for Yogi Love, um, that's how most people are going to remember this. The last four years where it was just struggle after struggle. And it was it got to the point where people were just angry and almost hate watching the games. Uh, they weren't interesting. They were boring. The offense lacked movement and creativity. The defense was a sieve. Mid, the midfield never really, at any point over the last four years, was consistent enough to really build any type of relationship. And I just think for everyone, now is the right time to move on. And Hansi Flick is taking over at a good time. His job will not be easy. He's got a roster that could experience some turnover depending on what some veterans want to do. I think there are a couple veterans, namely Tony Kroos and Ilkay Gundogan, whose decisions on whether to continue forward uh, could be dictated uh, with how Flick plans to use them. And, you know, the word on the street right now is that Flick's midfield is not going to be changed. It's going to be Kimmich and Gretzka as the anchors. And uh, I'm not so sure that Kroos or Gunduan are ready to accept backup roles. And if they're not, they'll likely retire. So there is going to be a significant amount of turnover. Ironically, this is what I feel like Yogi Love wanted after 2018. He just did not get that um, for various reasons, uh, most of which were his own doing. But uh, this is definitely a, a point of transition for Germany. And if there is any person that is equipped to handle a mix of veterans and young players and quickly turn around a program, I would say it's Hansi Flick. Uh, and that's mostly because he is just a superb communicator. He builds relationships. And I think that in a national team setting, that's even going to be more important than it was in a club setting. We all saw what he did with Bayern Munich just by building those relationships and gaining the confidence of the players. Uh, because the national teams meet less frequently, that's going to be so much more key. And if if you, if if Hansi Flick can do that, if he can work with the players and, and install a system that's going to work with the strengths of those players instead of installing a system and shoehorning players into those spots, I think it'll make a big impact. I expect things to change mightily. I expect Hansi Flick to be able to turn things around for Germany. And uh, I'd be really shocked if things fall apart under Hansi Flick. So in the end, in summary, you know, I will look back at this and I will say that Germany failed in this tournament uh, after a rough group stage because they took their foot off the gas after the first 12 minutes against England. And I would argue that point with anyone. 
Yeah, I don't think the roster was 100% right. I did not agree with the formation. I did not agree with many of the lineup selections. And I, I will openly say that the players should shoulder a great amount of blame in this for their performances, uh, just given how many were out of form. But uh, ultimately, when you fail the man in charge or the woman in charge, depending on what team you're talking about, uh, should take the heat. And that's how this will all end with Yogi Love. Let's just uh, acknowledge the great things he did over the years. And uh, also remember the last four years, because what I think is important is to prevent this from happening in the future. We have to learn from all of this. And uh, hopefully the DFB is able to do that. And as they move forward into Germany's next generation, uh, there has to be a different uh, way to advance forward than what has been done over the last four years. Now we'll transition over to Bayern Munich, which uh, while this hasn't been an eventful week for Bayern news, there are some things that have gone down, most notably with uh, the recording of this episode on July 1st. It is the first official day of the tenure of Julian Nagelsmann taking over Bayern Munich. And yeah, you guessed it. It looks like he's going to roll out a 3-4-3. So we may not be done talking about the 3-4-3 formation just yet. Uh, unfortunately, this could uh, be a great content producer for BFW is any decision that Nagelsmann makes regarding this formation and the roster is going to have a great impact on not just the season but the outlook and squad planning for the future but you know those are all topics for another time let's just hit the news right now uh you know there are some minor uh what I would say, personnel decisions that have been made. Lars Lucas Mai, who I think is a very promising center back, uh, who essentially just doesn't have a spot at Bayern Munich and likely is not going to have a spot, uh, has found himself in the position of being loaned out to Werder Bremen, which is, i got to be honest, it's a phenomenal move for Bayern and for Werder Bremen alike. I think we'll see whether or not Lars Lucas Mai truly can be that first-team center back that I think he can be. Uh, this is a good opportunity for him, but it just shows that once again, with a with a product that's come up through the Bayern system, he's going to be moved along um, at a time in his career where he should be breaking through with Bayern's first team. So, unfortunately, you know, instead of having a what I would you know loosely refer to as a homegrown player come through and and work his way up the system, uh, Lars Lucas Maia is going to to go out on loan once again. He spent last season on. On loan with Darmstadt, and uh, while that was very successful, clearly he had not shown enough to the Bayern Munich brass to warrant a longer look on Sabiner Strasse. Uh, you know, for my this is a good opportunity for Bayern. It's great because it delays the, you know them having to make a decision on his future for another year while he gains experience. But at some point, Bayern's going to have to look at what they're doing in their development system and make some adjustments because it's just become quite clear not enough players are breaking through at this stage and for the investment that the club has made and and not just the facilities and coaches that they have on Savener Strauss at the youth campus um, they need to see more production out of those young players uh, and if I, I really encourage you to take a look at uh, Philip Quinn's recap of all the loans over the course of the season from from last year's campaign and just wow how bad the Bayern players on loan were <laughs> Uh, by and large, aside of Lars Lucas Mai, you know, obviously Chris Richards, who is excellent, 
Um, so many of the young players just could not make it on their own when they were loaned out, and it's really disappointing to see that. Uh, and it's, I think it says a lot about uh, where this is all headed with Byron's youth campus. You know, obviously another big move in terms of youth players that were loaned out, uh, Fita Arp, uh, the hashtag Arp train, has left the Byron station and is now off to Holstein Kiel where he is going to try and recover his own career. And obviously if you've been following me, you know that I was a big proponent of Arp. Uh, once Byron signed him, you know, I was a little skeptical on whether it was the right time. But once I saw him perform in the preseason, I became sold because – while he had this reputation of just being a striker, he had proved that he could go out and play wing. I saw this versatility, this flexibility in his game, and just kind of a flair and a confidence that uh, that showed this kid could be a great player. Unfortunately, injuries and illness, uh, and what definitely looked to me to be about with his own confidence and form, really just decimated Arp over the last two seasons. Uh, this loan move is the right move for him. Uh, he needs to rediscover himself and rediscover, rediscover that confidence and that flair in his game. I don't want to say he's become a boring player. I think being surrounded by lackluster offensive teammates with Bayern Munich 2 last season really hampered his own development uh, and really took away his ability to be creative and show that, I keep calling it flair, but that's what it is in his game. Uh, I hope this works out for him. I don't know that he's got a future at Bayern Munich any longer. I'm not sure the club still believes in him. What I think they're all hoping for is he can go to Holstein Kiel, rediscover that form, get his confidence back, and the club would probably look to sell him. Although, you know, I still think he has the body type and the game to eventually be able to compete for a spot at Bayern Munich. I just don't know if he'll get that opportunity um, it's really disappointing for me personally. I've been a big champion of him. And, uh, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to take heat over his career one way or the other. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I'll live with that. And, you know, I still kind of like it because it creates a lot of great banter with you guys. And uh, I'll still follow ARP and, you know, he'll be a, a focal point for our site as we look to recap the loans. Periodically over the course of the season, we will be following that situation closely. And I touched on uh, Chris Richards a bit, but it looks like we won't find out what is going on with him until about August. Listen, I'm a huge fan. I think this is a first-team defender on just about any team in Europe. I'm not saying he's a starter for any team in Europe at this point, but I think he's got that potential. I think he's ready for the first team. I think the right move for Bayern is to send him back to Hoffenheim for another loan. Again, this is more about delaying a decision on him for a year I think it's way too premature to sell him. It's also way too premature to bring him back to Bayern Munich and sit him on the bench where he's not going to be able to develop. That game time that he got at Hoffenheim was so valuable, not just for his development with his skills and his technical ability and his gameplay, but for his own confidence. And confidence is the word of this podcast because it is such a big factor with all of these players. You cannot perform at a high level without confidence. And what we saw from Chris Richards last year is he gained that confidence. Not only did he see that he himself could play against that competition. I mean, he always had to believe that. But he was able to perform excellently against Bundesliga competition. Uh, this is a situation we're going to monitor very closely. I'm in favor of Richards getting another loan, mostly because I think he's a great dynamic talent who needs to be on the field. I'd hate to see him sitting on the bench 
behind the multitude of center backs that Bayern Munich has right now on its roster. It's just not fair to the kid at this point because he is ready. I firmly believe it. He is a player who is ready to make an impact. So with that, um, that's going to just about wrap things up for the weekend warm-up. I mean, the final note that I'll touch on and <laughs> something that was covered, I thought, uh, on our site pretty well was the really, really disturbing story about Timo Werner. Now, listen, again, if you followed me, you know I've been the hashtag Timo time guy. I, I still believe in Werner even though he's going through this awful bout of uh, confidence issues and a lack of form. I still believe this is a guy who's not a, listen, he's not an out-and-out you know, conventional striker slash target man. He's a player who has a bit of a fluid role who can not just get behind a defense, but he has great scoring ability. But right now where he's at in his own head, he's not going to reach the levels that he could have potentially gotten to if he does not fix his own issues at this point. And a lot of that, again, will come down to hashtag confidence, I guess. But anyway, the, the disturbing story with him was the fact that he was interviewed uh, by a journalist named Kara Head, who was very funny during this this whole change and exchange. Um, Timo Werner, uh, during the quarantine, was eating pasta with ketchup, which, one, I consider this an act of war. Uh, I, I cannot condone his behavior on this as much as I am the uh, Timo time guy. I, th this was unacceptable to me. Uh, Timo, this is this is uh, you know to me this was a cry for help. Uh, you need a nutritionist, pal. Listen, you're in phenomenal shape. Uh, you could probably uh, take the track and run with some of the uh, not world class guys, but that second or third tier of speedster. You you have that type of ability. But brother, you have to your diet. I mean, listen, it's got to be better than that. Like, where's your protein intake? And I was more concerned. Listen, the pasta with ketchup thing could just be like a weird kind of thing that you like. Okay, everybody's got some weird taste with food. But then when, when the journalist asked you about breakfast, you said, I don't know, some bread? Some bread with cheese? Like, what? Dude, dude, you are a world-class striker. You're playing for Chelsea. You play for Germany. What are you fueling your body with? So listen, Timo, if you get this message... Uh, I'm all in favor of you taking that huge contract you got from Chelsea and getting yourself a personal chef. Because I feel like if you start to fuel your body correctly, you're going to get the output you desire. And maybe some of those confidence and form issues you have are going to go away. So if you take anything from this, Timo, if you're listening, um, get a nutritionist, get, get a personal chef. And uh, maybe ditch the pasta with ketchup, too. That's, uh, that's kind of gross. So anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate you guys checking in every week. I uh, look forward to doing this for you. So, uh, you know, drop us some comments. Uh, you can, as always, you can catch me every day at BavarianFootballWorks.com and also on social media at The Barrel Blog. Have a great weekend. Drink some beers. Forget about that god-awful Germany loss. And we will start up uh, with just some insane Bayern Munich coverage from wall to wall every day. So uh, enjoy that, and we will see you next time.